Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. But there is an invasion of the Bible that is not such a happy event. When you open your Bible to the first chapter of Genesis, you cannot avoid the subject of creation invasion. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today's broadcast with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the fourth in the Cosmic Controversy series entitled Creation Invasion. We're bringing the first portion of this message here today. Again, Creation Invasion. And you can find all of these messages online at reachingyourheart.com if you miss any portion of this broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, we're very grateful for Jesus Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega. We're grateful that in Him there is life. And we thank you, O Father, that we are not left to our own devisings, that we have in Jesus all things that are necessary for the future. And we praise and worship you on this holy Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I have a cat at my house by the name of Nephi. She's called Nephi because it's short for Nefertiti. It's an Egyptian cat that a friend of ours gave us that's about a $4,000 cat. Now, that's what they say they're worth, but quickly that cat is costing me that kind of money. I have sleepless nights because of little Nephi. I'm here sleeping downstairs at times because my wife works, and I sleep upstairs too. Don't misunderstand me. But I have to make sure the dog comes in so it doesn't wake her up, and if the cat is scratching on the door, I open the door. And I feel a little bit like an invasion has taken over my home, frankly speaking. I'm sleeping on the floor, trying to keep the animals quiet so my wife can go to bed, and little Nephi will be scratching on the door, and so I'll open the door, and Nephi comes in, and that little cat in the middle of the night does all kinds of things. It'll jump on the table, lift the pizza box up, and start eating the pizza. It'll find an open can of food and eat the food. It eats out of my dish. But more than that, it'll come up to me in the middle of the night, don't even know it, it'll lick my eye. I got an eye infection from that. I mean, it loves me, but I got its infection in my eye. Make a long story short, this morning I went up to take care of the dog, came back, and there was Nephi sleeping on the very place that I had reserved where my blanket was at. It took over, and we called that an invasion. Now, I'm happy Nephi has invaded our home for the most part. But there is an invasion of the Bible that is not such a happy event. When you open your Bible to the first chapter of Genesis, you cannot avoid the subject of creation invasion. In the Wikipedia online encyclopedia, invasion has the following definition given to it. An invasion is a military offensive consisting of of all or large parts of the armed forces of one geopolitical entity aggressively entering territory controlled by another such entity, generally with the objective of either conquering, liberating, or reestablishing control or authority over a territory 
forcing the partition of a country, altering the established government, or gaining concessions from said government, or a combination thereof. And that's exactly what I feel like Nephi has done. It's taken over the house, has taken over the house, a new kingdom is there, the cats are in charge. Now, this definition that we see in the Wikipedia online encyclopedia, it's a long way of saying an invasion is an attempt to take over something you don't control. In Genesis 1, verse 1, the Bible begins with this statement. We know it all. We've heard it many times before, but it is packed with Bible truth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, that one sentence in the Bible has come in under attack throughout the centuries. People of faith, people of science, people of, of wisdom supposedly in the philosophical fields, they find all kinds of ways to explain away the very first line of the Bible. This verse of the Bible, in fact, defines the extent and nature of the divine dominion. Because God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the only one who has a legitimate right to rule the universe There is nothing up there and there's nothing down here that is outside of his divine control. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. God's dominion stretches to the furthest star that's out there beyond the most distant quasar, but it is to be expressed and experienced here. The Bible teaches that this world was created out of a chaos that was preexistent to the terraforming of this planet. And in the creation of this world, God has demonstrated his truth and his love. And he has, to some extent, dealt with evil in a great controversy. In fact, the Bible teaches that this world was created in the context of a war that started in heaven. There was a judgment in heaven prior to the creation of this earth. And somehow this world's creation is the answer, or one of the initial answers to the issues of the great controversy between God and Satan. In Genesis 1, verses 1 and 2, we have an historical account of the creation invasion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. Now, there's so much contained in these two verses that introduce the concept of creation invasion. Three truths emerge from verse 1. Let's look at them. Truth number one. The Bible says without apology that God was first before anything else. I mean, that's a spiritual principle in your life. If God was first before anything else, he should be first in your life. If God was there before everything that was made, then all the things that are made that are part of what you struggle for, your food, your house, your retirement, God should be first before anything in your life. In the beginning, God means that God is the oldest personal being and power in the universe, and he must come before everything that is. The very first word in the Bible is the Hebrew word that is translated here, in. In the beginning, Bereshit bara Elohim. And the, the letter bait, the B that you hear in Bereshit bara is the word translated in. And it is a single letter in the Hebrew Bible. And it is a letter that means house. Before there was a was, before there was a universe, before there was a place to find God on your knees or in church, God was the house or home of all that would be. Secondly, the Bible proclaims as truth without apology that God created the entire universe himself. Now, he didn't need help creating. He needs someone to come along and give him advice how to do it. He didn't need wisdom contributed to the situation. He knew how to do it. He did it, and he is the power behind all that is. 
That means that we are not here by chance or a collision of exploding matter and antimatter. That some indifferent principle did not create the universe in some complexity of gestalt state like Stephen Hawking somehow theorizes. The Bible starts with the statement of truth that everything we see in the sky, everything on the earth is the product of intelligent design. And the Bible clearly identifies the designer as God. In the beginning God. So the very first definition that we have of God in the Bible is that God is in fact the creator. Now every son comes up to a father and sooner or later asks the question, Daddy, how did I get here? And every daddy hymns and haws about it. Says, well, Mommy and I made you. And then an inquisitive child will say, well, Daddy, who made you? You say, well, we have grandparents. Well, who made them, Daddy? And you keep going back and back in time till finally you say, God made Adam. And then the child will say, well, who made God? And then you say something that stretches the mind of the little one. No one made God. God was not made. God has always been in the beginning God. The third truth the Bible teaches in this verse is this, that the same personal being who created the cosmos, full of galaxies and stars, created this planet too. Genesis 1-1 declares that we are part of a unified and universal cosmic created order. And all this is found in the first sentence of the Bible. And if you believe it, there are millions of people out there who will think you're a nut, you're a fundamentalist, or something like that. If you simply believe the very first line of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now I'd like to think I'm smart, but I'm not. Probably a lot of you have higher IQs than I have. Now, you don't want people going around saying you're dumb, right? Do you realize that if you believe the very first verse of the Bible, that the scientists of the world are going to think you're dumb, the philosophers of the world are going to think you just don't have a clue, and there are theologians today in the postmodern Christian experiment, which is really setting aside Scripture, that say the same thing. You really can't take the word of the Bible here. You know, I would rather take God's wisdom in the first line of the Bible than all the books and all the PhD theses and all the scientific analysis and philosophical works and mathematical grid plates or whatever they call it. I'd like to just set that aside because in this one single sentence is the basis of your walk with God. You have a Father, Creator God, who by divine power created the universe. And if He can do that, dear heart, He can get you out of the ground on resurrection morning. He can save you in the midst of your struggle in life. He can find you. He can minister to you. He can meet your needs with the same power that created the universe. We need Genesis 1-1 to have the answers in our life. We cannot discard it and have a God that breaks into human history and interacts with our need. All that is found in the very first sentence of the Bible. The first sentence of the Bible establishes the truth of creation and a creator God. The second sentence of the Bible moves into the concept of evil, an invasion of evil that came into this world. In verse 2, we find the essential metaphors of evil used here that are used throughout the rest of the Bible. Genesis 1-2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. The Bible teaches clearly here that this planet was terraformed. Did you hear me? I caught your attention, didn't I? The Bible teaches very clearly here that this planet was terraformed in the context of Genesis 1. Now, terraform means earth-shaping. 
This planet was shaped in seven days to be what it is. There was something here before God said, let there be light. I've heard some Christian theologians say, well, there was nothing here. The Bible does not teach that. In 2 Peter 3, verse 5, Peter is very clear that a world that existed from water, it was created out of water and then deluged with water. The Bible is very clear. There was a water void that was present before the creation of the earth that was here. The Bible says the earth was without form and void. Now you can't say the earth was anything if there was no earth. It was without form and void. The Hebrew word translated without form is tohu in the Hebrew, and it literally means unformed. This word tohu is used in 1 Samuel 12, 21 to describe idols and false gods which are vain and futile objects of faith. They aren't even created yet, is what God is trying to say. So don't bother worshiping them. They have no life in them. And the Hebrew for void is bohu, which means unfilled. The word is used in Isaiah 34, 11 to describe the uninhabited land of Edom that has been judged by God and reduced to a desolate, lifeless land. It rhymes here in Genesis 1, 2. There was tohu bohu before God said, let there be light, unformed, unfilled. Now, it's no accident that these same two words are used together to describe a world that will be reduced to ecological, social, and political disaster and destruction at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Tohu, bohu is coming back to this planet. I have in my house, many of you know, I have Avalanche. She's a, a terror of a dog, really. The Siberian Husky that I love dearly, but I'm loving a little less as time moves on. I'm having to ask for agape love for my dog. If you go around the back of our house, you'll see these large pitted holes that he has dug into the backyard with. Now, he stays in the family because we love him, but nonetheless, he's somewhat of a difficult dog. He digs holes, he digs pits, and then he rests in that pit on a hot day from the heat. He draws coolness from the earth. So my backyard is like tohu bohu, unformed and unfilled. Now, in Jeremiah 4, 23 to 26, we find these same two words. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will continue in just a moment. Stay tuned. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-supported program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Or you can stop by our website, reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get back to the broadcast now. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with more of today's Reaching Your Heart. Now in Jeremiah 4, 23-26, we find these same two words. I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void. It's tohu bohu, unformed and unfilled, and to the heavens, and they had no light. Now for Jeremiah, it's Genesis 1-2 all over again. Tohu bohu, it's the primordial chaos that has returned. Then he goes on to describe a planet that has been judged by God, reduced to this chaos and lifelessness, just as it was before God said, let there be light. 
Verse 24, I looked on the mountains, and lo, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. I looked, and lo, there was no man, and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked, and lo, the fruitful land was a desert, and all its cities were laid in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. The second coming of Jesus Christ, dear heart, will reduce this planet to tohu, bohu, all over again. The book of Revelation, the sixth seal, in Revelation 6.14, describes the second coming of Jesus where the great men of the earth and the average person too, they're crying for the rocks and mountains to fall on them. And the Bible clearly says in that passage that every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. In the seventh plague in Revelation 16, 19, the Bible says the cities of the nations fell at the second coming of Jesus. I mean, if you're looking for a future beyond the second coming of Christ, beyond his intervention in human history, Dear heart, there's going to be tohu bohu, unformed, unfilled chaos, just like it was before the creation of the earth. This planet will become a lifeless ball in space for a thousand years. It's worse than avalanches work in my backyard. When Jesus comes back, there's nothing here that's going to survive his coming except those who are taken to the heavenly Jerusalem, who are caught up in the second coming. They will reign a thousand years with Christ in the capital of the universe, the new Jerusalem. Back to Genesis 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Bible says the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So after tohu bohu, without form and void, we have darkness and the deep introduced for the very first time in the Bible. Now, darkness and the deep are the consistent metaphors of evil for the rest of the Bible. Now, notice when they appear... They appear before God says, let there be light. They are there before his power begins to terraform. It means that we have darkness and the deep as the context of the light and the creative power of God that breaks into the darkness. And both of these terms, darkness and deep, are strongly linked to the essential imagery of Satan and his kingdom. So let's analyze verse 2 together. Before God said, let there be light, there was something here all right. There was darkness and the deep before he spoke a single word. Now, why did God create our world out of darkness and the deep? That's the essential question. The word used for deep in the Hebrew is tehom. Tehom. It comes from an ancient Babylonian word, tiamat, which means dragon. So you have in verse 2 a Hebrew word that has its ancient context that would call to mind the idea of a dragon. Darkness and the deep dragon. Now the deep is identified by a poetic repetition so we can analyze what it is. In verse 2 the text says the face of the deep. Do you see that? And then it says again the face of the waters. So we see that the deep is in fact defined as the waters. So here's a primordial sea, a primordial ocean with no light, with no stars, no sun, just darkness and sea. And in the Greek Old Testament this word deep is translated abyss. And it's no accident that it is the same word used in the Greek New Testament, Revelation 20, verse 1, for the bottomless pit where the devil will be cast at the second coming of Jesus Christ, at the beginning of the millennium, a great angel will take him and throw him into the bottomless pit. Let's take our Bibles and look at this verse. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand, what does it say? The key of what? That's the word abyss, the same word used in the Greek Old Testament. We find it right here in the last book of the Bible. 
so that the devil will be thrown into that primordial ocean sea again, the deep, and he's bound for a thousand years. Verse 2, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit, the abyss or the deep, and shut it and sealed it over him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years are ended. And after that he must be loosed for a little while. There is a strong sea and Satan connection in the Bible. For a thousand years the abyss will be the home of the dragon, which means he will be cast into the sea or the deep for the millennium. The ancient Greek religion has everything backwards in their religion. Has anyone here ever read Edith Hamilton's work, works on mythology? A few of you? They're kind of exciting, but there's nothing in it for the soul. The Greeks have it all backwards. It goes something like this in Greek mythology. A long time ago, the world was created by the first set of gods called the Titans. In Greek mythology, the older race of gods was overthrown by this newer race of gods. The war was called the Titanomachy. It's a tongue tire for me. The Titanomachy. It's difficult for me to pronounce. And it means the war of the Titans. In the war, the newer race of gods took up their residence on Mount Olympus while the old race of gods were thrown down to the deep pit called Tartarus. Now Tartarus was the deep dungeon and pit of the underworld, the deepest pit you could find, where most of the punished Titans were forced to live in chains. Not all of them, but most of them. And the basic idea was that the newer gods overthrew the older gods and they took their place. And so they were now the rulers of the earth and they lived on Mount Olympus. Now this basic idea is found in a number of European religions and ancient Near Eastern religions that a newer set of gods overcome the older set of gods. Now it's, it's Satan's scheme for world religions to turn the truth upside down. The truth is exactly the opposite of what really happened the Bible says the devil wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to be God. His angels wanted to be gods with him. So what did they do? They tried to throw God off his throne. They tried to remove Christ from his favored position as the favored and anointed guardian of God. And he tried to overthrow God and his son Jesus Christ, but he failed. And when he failed, he was banished from heaven. His angels were thrown out with him. In Revelation 12:9, the Bible is absolutely clear. He was thrown to the earth. So he was thrown down here. Now what was it like here before God said, let there be light? There was no land. There was no sky. There was only darkness in the deep. Scripture teaches that the devil was thrown into the bottomless pit, which is the dark or deep void of this planet before God said, let there be light. That means he came here. It's no accident that the devil is so strongly connected to the sea in the Bible. Let me give you a few examples of this. Turn with me to Isaiah 27, verse 1. Now here the Bible is talking about the great judgment day. It says, In that day the Lord, with his hard and great and strong sword, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is where? That is in the sea. Very clearly stated. Revelation 9, verse 11. They have his king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Again, the devil is connected to the bottomless pit. Revelation twelve seventeen. Then the dragon was angry with the woman, would often make war on the remnant of her seed, on those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And the dragon stood on the sand of the sea. Now the Greek word Tartarus is used to describe the holding prison 
for Satan's angels in Peter's epistles. He uses this very word that the Greeks had for that bottomless pit for the titans. And he says, that's where the devil is. Turn to 2 Peter 2 verse 4. It says, for if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell. How many of your Bibles say hell? Cast them into what? It says he cast them into hell in, in my translation and committed them to pits of nether gloom to be kept until the judgment. The word hell is not used here at all. The Greek says literally he cast them into chains of darkness. He tartarized them. That means they were cast into the bottomless pit of Tartarus. Peter clearly teaches the Greeks got it all wrong. The evil angels who wanted to be the new gods got locked up and thrown in to the pit Tartarus. And Peter says the evil angels were Tartarized. They were placed in that bottomless pit. Now in the book of Jude, verse 13, the nether gloom pit that Peter calls Tartarus, reserved for evil angels, is clearly associated with the sea in the context. Jude 6 And the angels that did not keep their own position but left their proper dwelling have been kept by him in eternal chains in the nether gloom until the judgment of the great day. And then you go down to verse 13. Describes the evil people of of his time who follow these evil angels. They are wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the nether gloom of darkness has been reserved forever. A strong sea, Tartarus, nether gloom connection. We will continue with creation and vision the next time we are together here on Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe in prayer. We believe in the God who answers our prayers and meets our needs. Each week, we are standing by to receive your prayer requests and seek God with you. His word declares, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Call our prayer line today with your requests and our team will join you in seeking that the God of heaven will meet each one of your needs. Our telephone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.